Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Susan DeCenzo. In today's episode, Creating from the Heart, I have a very special guest, and her name is Need Ra. N-I-D, last name Ra, R-A, Need Ra. And she is an amazing individual who knew of her spiritual gifts and talents and awareness of our infinite nature from a very young age. And yet, due to circumstances and life kind of experiences, she shut it down by the time she was seven, eight years old, and early teens. And it didn't rebound. She didn't really accept and welcome it back into her life until she was older and had suffered an injury, a traumatic brain injury. So I'd like to share a little bit with you about Nidra so that you can really understand what you're in for with this episode. Needs, she likes to be called Needs. Needs is a karma guide as she supports her clients to clear blocks and embrace a fuller life. Recognized as one of the best yoga Nidra teachers by Forks Over Knives, which was actually a film about plant-based eating that is on Netflix. And on their blog, they voted Needs as one of the best yoga teachers from YouTube. So, like, that's huge. So she was recognized as one of these best yoga teachers by Forks Over Knives for her skill for transformational shifts that come with a light playfulness. And you'll hear in the episode today that it's not like all serious and, you know, this is the way everything has to be. There's such a playfulness. There's such a joyfulness. There's such a lightheartedness with needs. I I really hope that as you listen in to today's show, you'll really feel her energy and feel the flavor of how we can really learn to begin to create from the heart. All right, so anyway, let me go on and and share a little bit uh, more about needs. Um, Her clients embrace the karmic shifts at many levels from things like releasing back pain and balancing their emotional well-being to finding more enjoyable careers and having psychic awakenings. She leads retreats across the world, and her established current online business serves thousands and it includes really supporting other wellnesspreneurs, I love that phrase, wellnesspreneurs, and creatives to really shine their light for healing. So you know me, you know that I don't plan ahead, and I don't necessarily think of all these questions. And so as you listen in today, you're going to hear some technical things about like the body and, and our physical nature and our brain, because she did suffer a brain injury and there was some serious things that she had to work through in order to heal. And you'll hear the spiritual side and, and you know, that's the whole point of the show, right? The spiritually expressed human about integrating and navigating the human path and our spiritual path. I hope you find value in today's show and that you really take away the potential that you have to create from your heart and really become that best and highest version of you. I'll see you on the other side. Oh my gosh. So, you know from 
the intro, who I have in the house. But I want to formally welcome Ms. Nidra, and I'll probably say it as Nidra a bunch of times, which is interesting because we're going to talk about Nidra yoga and some other things. And she's from Australia. And I know that I shared all this stuff about her, but I'm just so enthralled with her. And so first, thank you so much, Nidra, for being, see, I did it already again. Do I just, honestly, do I just say need? Because I, I, I want to say Nidra. That is kind of my go-to. I want to say that. Some people do. Some people love saying that. And some people call me Nids as well. Some people love to put the S on the end of it. And it's always been like this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay, so needs. So welcome <laughs> needs to the spiritually expressed human house. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Susan, for having me. It's such a privilege and an honor. And I can tell you I'm so excited <laughs> to be sharing some this space and time with you. My honor too. And what's interesting is needs and I have not known each other for like years and years. And you're going to hear a series of guests coming onto the show in the next many months where I recently kind of had the pleasure to just have met them and have had some amazing, amazing, amazing conversations and said, oh my God, I need to have you on the show. So as you know, the the episode title today is called, you know, as you know, creating from the heart. And I want to dive right into how we do that. And we'll get into your story and all of that, how you got here in a minute. But can you kind of define what you feel creating from the heart is really all about? So it's dropping from our mind down into the heart and feeling what the guts say as well. So it's what the, the body guides that has a calm, a peace in it, but also an edge that makes you a little nervous because there's going to be a bit of gross in there and maybe a little bit of a, you know, journey um, that it's going to take you on. And so it kind of has this excitement, but it's calm as well because you know it's right. You know it encompasses everything that it needs to encompass. It takes into love and consideration to everyone. But what do you do? What happens? And what do you do if someone kind of struggles to feel where you're dropping into your heart, that gut, kind of that intuitive place of knowingness or that feeling? And they're just kind of feeling, uh, they think they're feeling, but they're really kind of in their head. They're like, I don't know. Is that my gut? What do I feel? Like, is this little feeling I feel in my solar plexus in my chest in my tummy area really intuition or is it my mind like what would you say to someone like that that then even struggles to discern that they're even dropping into their heart and gut yeah so you know there's plenty of people in the world who are definitely very much in their head yeah. um and i've definitely been guilty of that myself um, as we all are at moments. Um, and for most of us, that intuition is just that moment of just like clear knowing, right? It's like, I just know that's the path. That's the thing. I'm going to go then. And it comes with that, again, that clear kind of peaceful, like knowing, but also maybe a bit of that conviction of, but I'm a bit scared by knowing it. Like that's the key 
balance in there is there has to be a peacefulness, but also a bit of courage that comes behind it. And I think that even comes with those intuitive hits, you know, where you just go, oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do. You know, you might not drop into that little moment of like, I'm not sure, but it always comes with that real clear, you know, um, yeah, just, just the whole of your being is going, yep, that's where we're going. And so do you find then that when you drop into that place and you feel that kind of knowingness and maybe some of that fear or resistance or that something that is a little nervousness or anxiety or a little eh kind of feeling, is that a clear indicator that, well, I'll ask that you're kind of on the right path. Let me backtrack for a second. I heard recently, I don't remember where I heard it from, that when you feel the resistance, that probably means you're actually on the right path. And I found that very interesting because I do believe there are different resistances we can feel. Like we can feel a resistance from our head. That's all the self-doubt and the inner critical voice and all of that. But to really then create from the heart and drop into that place, is it a more subtle resistance where maybe there's no thoughts attached to it per se, like a lot of jumbled inner chatter bullshit? Or is it or or is it like that? And that's the moment that you kind of then step back and look at it a little deeper and closer and you feel a more subtle resistance, even if your mind is, you know, chattering a lot too. Did I make sense in the way I asked that? It did make sense. Okay. So good. I'll start with the um with the inner resistance. Okay. Um so I I actually developed a movement style called purity body movement. And in that I do a lot of release work with people because we hold, we have holding patterns in our body of body tension. And a lot of them come from our fears and our, our stresses of, of everyday life, you know, and our, also the bad posture of phones and computers and all of those things. And it creates bad tension in the body. So it creates this short contracted tension. And when we think that the body and the mind are connected, it means that the body is contracting in an uncomfortable kind of angry way. A lot of the modern postures we have replicate uh, the movement of being ready to fight, being ready to run away, like being ready to freeze, like everything builds in that tension in the upper body, the neck, the shoulders, and in the upper abdomen. And we stop breathing, the diaphragm's not relaxed, it's not free flowing. And so the belly is not working properly. So the belly is also then starting to hold tension in a way that it shouldn't do. And that perpetuates then also the mind-body connection because we've got the vagus nerve between the gut and the mind that is saying in the belly, I'm in a stressful situation. Don't rest. Don't chill out. Don't digest food. Like we need to be ready to fight. Mm. And this loop of restriction in the body of body tension, you know, is a confusing message to the brain, but also to the heart and to the rest of the body. And so I developed a movement style that's about releasing that from a somatic experience, but also looking at the fascia and the vagus nerve. So it brings in all of these areas to try and learn to reset that. So we can learn to feel that there's a relaxation and a rest in the body, but at the same time, when we hold tension, when we get strong, you know, when we start to do strength work, it should have an expansive and an opening feeling, not that short gym muscle getting tight feeling, but it wants to actually feel expansive 
and strong and stable at the same time. And that's the body sense we want to have when we're stepping into our heart and following our heart's calling is this expansive yet relaxed feeling. So, you know, it's you're standing, you're owning your space, you're owning your body, right? Your body is your space. It's your vessel. You're fully owning your vessel and where you're going to take it, but in a way that knows that it needs some strength. It needs the stability to move through wherever it is that you're going to go. So your body can hold that type of tension. And in that, yes, the mind will still be alert because there's a consciousness that we have to bring to whatever it is that we're doing. So the mind will be alert, but we also hopefully by feeling that physical presence can be standing in our mind and saying, okay, I see that thought. That thought is a worry thought. Is that a relevant worry thought, you know, or is that just coming from my fear or is that looking at the context of what I'm about to go into and saying, you know, be open to a solution. And then we can know if we need to allow space for solutions or if we need to, um, you know, let go or deal or face a fear and anxiety beneath. Well, I ask because I know one of the issues I've had throughout my life was that I disassociated from my body, right? I, I had the awareness since such a young age and then the assaults and, and negative things were happening in my world that I it was almost like I punished myself for coming into form and some specialized work I do in guided imagery processing work. One of those processes, I went back to this life stream where I entered and I clearly remember now, you know, is this made up in my head? Who cares? Doesn't matter. It fit kind of the path. When I came into form this life stream as Susan, once I got here, I said, what the hell did I do? Like, why did I, oh my God. And, and what's interesting about that is at two months old, I contracted spinal meningitis and almost died. And yet I made the decision to stay. And yet I've spent a lifetime kind of beating up my body. So I have been told multiple, multiple times, oh, your soul's just a little outside your body. Like you're not fully integrated or um, we get a sense or a feeling that, uh, like you're, you're not, um, not like the physical things you could notice if I'm a little overweight or I smoke cigarettes or I eat junk food or whatever I might've done in my life, but it's like, we get a sense, a deeper sense, a, a more spiritual sense that you're kind of not happy in the body. So I ask, because I'm, I've always been curious, how do I then I feel I have really strong intuition, but the truth is my kind of knowingness pieces come from that knowingness. They don't come from a more feeling, feeling state in my body. Yes, I feel my emotions and I feel different things in my body, but I honestly believe needs that I am still a bit disconnected and disassociated from my body because I still haven't fully kind of accepted and loved this form, I've accepted I'm here. I've accepted my purpose and my passions. I've accepted my missions. I'm partly here though, to heal this disconnection to my body. Right. And so it's this process for me. So how, and I, and I know I'm not the only one. That's why I was, I was fascinated and just like super listening and quiet. 
normally I'm like, oh yeah. Oh. And there's this more conversational kind of style in my, when I'm sit with a guest, but I'm just so fascinated because you're, you're a yoga teacher and you offer, well, let's kind of dive into that a little bit. You offer, let me see if I saying it right. Yoga, yoga, yoga nidras. So your name is Nidra, which is so cool. And we'll get into that, but you offer yoga nidras as one word, N-I-D-R-A-S. What, what are they and how would someone like me, or if you're listening out there, someone like you understand how to then connect more deeply to the body so that when we're even creating from the heart or diving in, whether we're brand new or we're more experienced kind of in that interconnectedness with ourself and our, our source and the, 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 uh, the, the full integration of us as a whole, mind, body, spirit, emotion, how can we then deepen that and even expand that more? Yoga Nidra is um, a part of traditional yoga practices. Um, It's considered a form of guided relaxation um, because it takes you to the hypnagogic state. So your point where you're drifting off to sleep, you're kind of conscious and the subconscious starts to kick in. So where you may dream. So it can be a very varied experience for people to be in this place. And some people, especially in the early days, will fall asleep. Um, and that might be, you know, where you need to go as well. Um, and it's got set phases through a yoga nidra. So when we say it's about deep relaxation, taking you to that state of mind, is because at that point we're open. We're really open to receive how we may want to guide and change our lives, how we may be limited by certain beliefs or thoughts, by symbolism, and we can choose to change that. So the practice itself, which is really interesting you say about the dissociation, and I definitely also had that too, um, is it begins by taking you through a what we call a rotation of consciousness. So it takes you through an awareness of your body parts And you can either visualize or you sense feel. And there are certain practice styles that begin by sense feeling and building that sense feeling awareness, especially for PTSD sufferers. So there are certain styles that have been researched very much for PTSD for war veterans. And so they're very tailored for working with people who've been through PTSD to help them with learning to come back into their body and to learn to feel and move through those sense feelings. And then what we do is we do breathing awareness. So we come to the breath and that bridge of the mind and the body. And then we come through a phase which we call the opposites. And the opposites can be, it's again, sense felt practice, which is either it could be a physical sense feeling, so feeling hot and cold, or it can be an emotional opposite feeling. So you know, you could have, have have happy and sad, which is actually a really hard one to do for a lot of people. So you move between these opposite sensations to try and move quickly because we learn through doing opposite practice that it's all the control of the mind. What your experience is, is what your mind chooses to focus on. So this practice helps you learn to move quickly between that because if you can hold both at the same time, at that point we have a uni- a union which is what yoga is about, is the union of the self. You know, you stop going, I don't like, I do like, you just go, ah, and you drop into that space. 
And from there, we may do a guided journey. We may do some affirmation work. Like then there's an after part there to really kind of consolidate and bring in some of those deeper self parts um, through symbolism and archetype work. So the journey is very much an embodiment practice as much as a deep relaxation because you're lying on your back for the whole practice. You're in a restful position and it's about receiving the voice of the teacher and nothing else. Your eyes are closed, you're resting, you're comfortable and you're allowing yourself to be and witness and just feel into your experience. So so if you do that, then are you, you're saying then that it, in this embodiment practice, then you're kind of opening up the channel to then essentially connect, right? To your higher self, to source, grace, God, soul, whatever you choose to call it, each person, but you're connecting to that more integrated full self. And then it's in that space where you then are practicing and can begin being aware of the sensing, feeling, practicing, being this kind of state, right, of that connection. So as time goes on and you've practiced more and more and more, then you go through your day and something happens and all of a sudden you just, you feel that something, like you said, that intuitive, knowing this gut hit something or a a clear resistance kind of no thing that is not part of your path. And boom, now you're just able to start moving through life and on a path in a different way, much faster because you've kind of cleared some of that subconscious stuff through the more embodiment practices. Yes, I have it. Yay. Okay. See, I'm going to have to listen to this as not look, you all know that when I interview people, I'm just like totally in the moment it's go with the flow and all this good stuff. But there is still a part of me, to be honest with y'all, that I have to be a little on. I, I have to be, I can't be so enthralled in what like Needs and I are saying that I, she finishes and then I'm just like looking at her like, come on, keep going. Tell me more. I have to, we're engaging. We have to have a conversation, right? So this will be helpful for me to listen back to as just the observer, right? Like hearing your voice and then going to your website and looking at at all the cool stuff there, but just hearing your voice, even saying this, because there was that part of me that wanted to lean back in my chair and close my eyes and just listen to your voice and go, oh yeah, I want to feel that. I want to feel that. Right. Okay. So how did you, thank you for that. I mean, that's like a huge, uh, I feel like that's a huge missing piece of the puzzle, so to speak, a bit for me in my kind of sense or 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 sometimes feeling states that I was disassociating from my body or disconnecting. Now, I know like in trauma, people can say, look, I'm a therapist and I've specialized in trauma over my life as well as my own assaults, right? My own traumas. And I know people can say that in a severe trauma, like with the war veterans or abuse survivors or assault survivors or, or whatnot, that we can disassociate from our bodies as a protective measure. And while that is 100% true in the moment, I believe that what happens for many is that over the course of time, that almost becomes our normal then. 
And it's not because we're too afraid to feel the pain. We felt the pain. We lived through the pain. We've passed the pain because we're here and the events have ceased, right? They were days, weeks, months, years, decades ago. But in the thinking of it, we refeel things and we just learn to kind of stay a bit disconnected from that while we can also feel all the other emotional stuff and the other pain, but we stay a bit disconnected to that. And so what you're saying is it's, it's critical, even with this research that has been done with PTSD uh, you know, sufferers, it's a way to bring us back into really a feeling state with all of it in a safe, healthy, slow, conscious way. Yes? Yeah. So how did you get to this place? Like, what was your path like? Because you said you were a bit disassociated too. How did this kind of come about for you? Uh, the first time I did a yoga nidra was when I was still a lawyer and I was on a retreat um, and I remember going to this class, lying down and being like, oh, I don't want to lie down. I want to move. Like, you know, I'm coming to a yoga class. I want to throw some shapes. I want to sweat, right? Yeah. Because I think what a lot of people think yoga is. And so I wasn't definitely at that time in a very healthy place to lie down and receive that kind of a practice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but lo and behold, I was only four months later, I fell down some stairs and had a brain injury. Oh my and gosh. that put me on a trajectory of um, one of the first things the neurologist said to me was meditation is going to be one of the things that's going to help you the most. And I'd already begun actually finding myself doing my own little kind of path towards meditation because it was one of the only things that helped me manage the chronic pain from the everyday 24-hour migraines that I was having. Oh, my God. And so I... I was very much on a disciplined path to try and find things to help me manage the pain and try not to take the drugs because they gave me quite horrible side effects. Um, And, you know, to rebuild my life and rebuild my cognitive function. Um, And a fellow yoga friend of mine did say to me, you know, she'd also had a brain injury and said to me, do yoga nidra. And she gave me the style that was for PTSD. And I went through their course And it just gave me such a sense of peace. And then that combined with doing Reiki meditations and doing um, the healing side of of a Reiki one on myself, those two things together gave me an ability to start to manage my own pain and to move through managing migraines without needing too many drugs. I can't say none at all. There was definitely... um, a trick one of the another neurologist taught me of aspirin and coca-cola really <laughs> yeah which really helped kill my well shortened the migraines and cut down the severity that, aspirin and, then, and coca-cola actually diminished your oh my god but coca-cola is so poisonous and so bad for you but it's amazing so what you know he said the sugar and the caffeine combined what it does is it may it acts so fast on the body that it acts faster than the beginning of a migraine on your body so it gets the aspirin into your blood fast enough that you can get a bit of a chance with the pain relief and that was what the doctor explained to me and it and you know what it worked but wow. it gave me enough time to then be able to be like right now what are the practices that help me with pain relief right and so yeah. then i could go and i could concentrate and focus on doing a yoga nidra practice that brought in the Reiki healing. And, you know, that's the, one of the first practices I ever released um, as a recording for people. It's an old practice now. Um, 
but it was because it was my way of surviving. It was what helped me move through, you know, a good year and a half of pretty much not being able to work, not being able to do very much other than sit and stare out of a window. Um, and, you know, I could maybe walk for 10 minutes at a time because I had such bad neuro fatigue. And so, you know, what, what do you do when there's not much you can do is you just learn to meditate on pretty much anything. So, you know, one of my first own sounds was my own meditation was just saying shush to myself. It's just shh. Wow. I'm just doing that. To and quiet just kind of. Quiet. Yeah. Because what I noticed with the migraines and the head pain was that the more I thought and the more emotions I had, whether they were happy or sad. So it didn't matter what the emotion was, but the more extreme the emotion, mm-hmm. the more pain I was in. Really? And so I had to learn to find contentment. You know, it has to be in the middle, peaceful, calm, and contented. And, you know, we often want, I want to be happy. I want to be enthusiastic. I want all this. And it's it actually is very exhausting for the body. It's a lot of energy. Whereas staying that middle ground, which can sound so dull, but, you know, a moderate life in yoga um, is a key part, actually, of the brain healing, at least, and of us being in a good, calm, energetic state. And so that's what put me on the path to yoga nidra and, you know, the power of it. And I really, because it was so important in transforming my life beyond just the pain management, you know, when I discovered that through the opposites practice, I was able to consciously walk around my day and suddenly stop and be like, oh, I don't like that feeling. I'm just going to experience a different one. I'm going to choose a different experience in my body. Mm. And I'm going to shift my nervous system and my physical state from, you know, feeling grumpy about that thing to just feeling kind of accepting and peaceful. It's okay. I don't need to shift to happy, right? I don't need to, I mean, I do teach law of attraction, but I'm not going to jump to, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm going to create something. I just shift to neutral, you know, can I come back to neutral? That's the place that works. It's a straight path. Well, and you know what it sounds like and reminds me of is it sounds like it's, it's about a, just, a, I don't, I don't mean just, but it's about accepting. It's about allowing and, and really, truly that one buzzword that, you know, is big buzzword buzzword now and nobody really likes because they don't understand it, but surrender, right? Surrendering to what is here now without any of the judgments of mind or body, right? That yes, the body may be like the mind may be in control. I always look at the mind as the data entry operator, right? Like your brain is the computer hard drive stores, all the files runs the systems of the body. Its goal in nature is to survive right? Survive the body. And the mind is this beautiful entity that is like the sentry and the guard to all the incoming data. So it's like the data entry operator that's writing all the programs, all the meanings, putting all the experience in little file folders and telling the brain where to store it, right? That's how I've always seen it. The body though has this, its own response and automatic kind of reactionary place by way of biochemicals, by way of neural pathways, by way of, oh my God, like we could get into hours of talking about that. The brain is this amazing structure that yes, keeps the body surviving and runs the systems of the body, but to survive, it has to go through all these pieces. So it feels like it's this place that then there can be great conflict 
between the body and the mind. So like you're having this pain, you're having these migraines, you can't control that in the moment. It's coming on due to this injury. You hurt your brain, your brain was reacting and responding to that injury, was working to heal those parts that were injured and it's reacting. And now the mind is interpreting all this stuff. The brain may or may not be reacting to the mind's kind of input, right? The fight or flight. I think I'm in danger. Great. The brain is going to kick out a whole bunch of neurochemicals for, for survival, right? But what I'm hearing you say is it sounds like the brain also is doing these things maybe more subtly when we're not in that very big kind of fight or flight potential mind telling us we're in danger kind of place. And so now it becomes this dance between what the brain is doing and the body is doing and what the mind is working to interpret and figure out and kind of control or shift or change to diminish if the if there's pain, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual pain, right? And so it becomes this this place, this like moment is what I'm hearing maybe, where as these two, and y'all can't see me, but I kind of have my hands open like right and left claws, and they're really close together, kind of like I'm doing this dance with them, right? This kind of movement of my hands together. It becomes this dance, right? And in that space is what you're talking about, that moment of neutrality, of calm. Well, maybe we won't even give it a label, like you said. Yeah, it's the space you drop it. It's the space, right? It's just the space, yeah. There's this beautiful um, shamanic teacher who talks about how... um, our civilization is obsessed with space, right? We're obsessed with traveling into space. We're obsessed with the space, even under the water, right? But we're, we're obsessed with like space. Um, and, you know, when we think about space and time, right? The Mayans were into time, right? They did all the calendars and the clocks and the, and the predictions of, you know, what's to come. And so we're into space. And that's because from my perspective, and this is definitely with Yoga Nidra, but even before, you know, when I was a lawyer and I had, insane hours in my life was definitely, you know, to time. Um, I was always obsessed with wanting space. And it's because it's the space between, it's the space between our doing and our being. That's where the magic happens. That's the creative and that's the heart. The heart is the representation for me, at least of what, of what all the universe is. It's what manifests it's love, you know, so that's, living through the heart, following intuition is because it comes from that space. And so for you, maybe if your intuition just comes, but it comes when there's a space, right, for you to allow the intuitive hit to appear. Yeah. So it's how we create space and how do we drop into creating space where there may be nothing, but also there may be an intuitive insight that comes in that space. Mm. Let's just sit with that for a second. Give it space. Because, you know, like I know through the years as I've meditated and practiced, I used to be pretty diligent. I meditate differently now because kind of the silent sitting still type meditations don't work well for me. I always, always fall asleep. I could be wide awake, not fatigued, great night's sleep. I will fall asleep. And I had 
teachers tell me through the years, oh, it's just because you're going deep. You're going into kind of another dimension. You're getting downloads. And multiple people have said this. So it wasn't like just one teacher or one particular whatever. I've never really taken classes like on how to meditate. I just, I just have always been this inquirer, this curiosity seeker, this why questioner. And I've always been willing to be silent and go within. And I just kind of knew how. So when I started hearing about kind of meditation practices and you hear about all the different forms of meditation, right? I would attempt various different ones and invariably, yep, every single time I would get really quiet and allow my mind kind of, I see it like uh, ships, like I'm, a, I'm the lighthouse. My mind is the lighthouse and the ships are my thoughts and they're just way out there kind of floating by. And I'm just being the lighthouse, not trying to do anything as a lighthouse. I'm just for the analogy in my mind, right? Of my mind. I'm just being. I would still always fall asleep. So I don't know if it'd be interesting to know if you agree with that. The reason I bring it up though is because for me, it was about whether it was music or movement or dance or floating meditation. For me, it was a it was in my actions of wanting to be still and silent in like a sitting or a lying meditational kind of pose. It still felt like I was doing. Whereas when I'm dancing or moving in some way or doing a floating meditation, I'm literally being. And so for me, that was that space, right? And I wouldn't fall asleep, yet I wouldn't have these necessarily profound, like, I've talked to every galactical being in the universe from the beginning of whenever time, 18 million, thousand billion years ago. Like, I'm being a little silly right now, but you know what I mean, right? So curiously, two questions. I know I always throw like a a multi-layered question at at you. Do you agree or disagree that falling asleep simply can mean, even if someone's new at it and it's literally just that they're tired and they wake themselves up snoring, could it be that they're just in a space where they need to go to a deeper space and their conscious mind is is a little bit too controlling or not wanting to allow that. And so the person falls asleep so they can access that subconscious or that deeper place. And or also for someone maybe a little more experienced, that it could just be that they're needing to go deep and open in a different way to allow a, a, a different level of kind of expansion to happen. Because I think that's where we can learn then to let go of judgments and create more from the heart. Yeah. So um Accessing that space is unique to each person. And also it's going to change possibly throughout your life, you know, different situations and circumstances are going to, you know, require a different skill or tool to help you access. And so one of the reasons why I decided to not narrow myself to like, I do one practice, you know, why I do body work, why I do clarity breath work, why I do yoga nidras is because we all need a different access point. And I've needed these all at different points in my life. And at different times, they still each serve me accessing that space, whether it's through the movement, whether it's through the breath work, whether it's through the yoga nidras, whether it's through a meditation, whether it's through energy healing, you know, like, I mean, 
we all need to understand that different routes serve us in different ways. Yeah. And we could be dissociating and avoiding by checking out, right? So you could fall asleep because you're checking out. There are times, like I said, with the yoga nidra practice where you're falling asleep, where you're new to it, or that's just your experience of going into the deep subconscious because you can't retrieve it in a way that you can interpret in our you know, in our daily brain. I don't want to say conscious brain on that one. It's like the daily mind can't interpret the deep healing that's going beneath. Mm -hmm. So, and that's hard, I would say, for most people to understand the nuanced differences between, you know, am I falling asleep or is there something deep in my subconscious that I can't retrieve and bring back into this world, right? That's that's a subtle experience for most people that's, you know, let's not worry about whether or not that's happening. If you feel that the practice isn't supporting you because you feel like you're checking out, you're falling asleep, you're not getting anything from it, then it probably isn't supporting you. Trust, trust yourself mm. with that and do the things that help you access the space. And, you know, that's the way I work with my, with my private clients in particular, you know, it's like one minute, it might be, we're going to move because this thing needs moving. You're going to be still, we're going to take you through something guided. Let's do some breathing. Like it, it depends on what also is moving through you to access the space. It may need something different because it may be a different part of either your energy body. It could be a part, a different part of your nervous system, or it could be a part of your mind and your yeah. emotional state. So to me, it's important that we're versatile and that we learn that these are tools that enhance our experience. Yes. Thank you. Because what, like, look at how many people are out there. I don't care what you call them, gurus, teachers, mentors, this, that, and the other, who are trying to say, this is the way, like this thing, this process, this program, this service, this whatever will provide you with blah, blah, blah. And you will have this result outcome. I don't know, make more money, feel happier, feel content, feel purpose-filled, understand your path. Like, I don't know, my God, I could go on for hours as you could too, I'm sure. And so thank you for that, because I think that's a critical piece is that we need to understand there are seven and a half plus billion people on the planet. There is no two alike, just like snowflakes. It doesn't, you can get a bowl of snowflakes and you wouldn't unless you found a way to keep them all frozen and in their shape and form while you investigate them all and look at them all which could never happen they're all different and so we are all different and we need the variability the 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 massively infinite toolbox right that each person even if i don't know with this person something, I come up against a, a brick wall or I come up against something or it's triggering something for me and it doesn't allow me to hold that space in that way for that person to help them. I at least know that there are those out there that have a tool then or set of tools that maybe can help them. So, wow. Uh, just thank you for saying that because so many people are like, and it's all ego driven, right? I've developed and created this and mine is the that. it's like it's that. Also cultural but it's also cultural right like you know like for sales and marketing every marketing person you go to like they're going to advise you you know you have to have one thing that's going to solve their problem and then they're going to buy it and they're going to love you forever right you know and then and then you upsell them the next thing that's a part of your program and it's a bit more expensive like it's such a, a 
boring track of this is how you sell to people to make money. This is how, you know, and I'm like, that's not what I'm interested in. You know, every marketing person that I was going to for a while, at least, I mean, I found someone amazing now, they would not work with me because I wouldn't do the one track thing. I was like, but different things serve different people. They were like, but then you can't niche. You're not easy to do marketing. Right. And I say, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I doesn't. I don't have a problem with getting clients because they come because they know that they need a guide, and that's why I don't coach. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a healer. I just guide people. I offer, you know, maybe try this practice. You know, like maybe you know, I'm because I'm intuitive because I can channel. I will receive guidance for them in that moment that might be able to help them. But part of my work is to empower them to trust their own intuition to find and create their own solutions, to make up their own practices, you know? So we come up with a toolkit so that then they can start to get playful, you know? And that's the thing. We're creative beings. We're here to create. Everyone knows inside themselves what will heal and look after them. And that's where that living through the heart and intuition comes from, right? Is if I'm struggling can I tap into myself? What do I really need? And then I can do the work myself. And if I really can't surrender in holding it for myself, if me doing my own work doesn't allow me to completely give over, then I might go and pay someone and I'll say, please, can you hold the space for me? Please be this person who can help me walk through this because I need someone there to hold the space so that I can give it up completely. And that's what we do together. That's so true. And and I love the way you phrase that because that's exactly how I feel in the struggle I've had in quote unquote defining myself outside of, you know, kind of the therapy practices. Like I've always operated the way you just spoke, but I played the role of therapist in the office with taking insurance and all that because that was how I thought you had to play the game. And I've said this many times on the show. So what you said was one, an an affirmation for me, and two, it was a beautiful summary of kind of how I work as well. And I've never heard it really phrased like that because it, it, every, like you said, everybody wants to kind of, I always said that you're trying to put me back in a box that I don't, I'm not a box kind of person and I'm, we're too expansive for boxes. All right. So, so just thank you for that. Yeah. I love that. All right. You've said it a couple of times. And so I'm curious, I I know that you used to be a lawyer and you've said it a couple of times, but did you always kind of have this knowingness of what you just spoke about, but you just didn't kind of listen to it or pay attention or did it come about through some other kind of life-changing kind of moment or series of experiences? No, I was very much born, very connected, very aware, very intuitive. Um, I was born into a very straight family. They were all academics. Um, and so, um, you know, my fairy world, as it was often described, which is still called fairy world by by my family. Um, and really? I love my fairy world. You know, I have no problem with living in a fairy world because the fairy world makes magic happen. And um and my life has been very magical when I've embraced it. But um, unfortunately, as a child, I felt, you know, I was bullied at school um, because I was a little bit of a fairy, I guess. 
Um, and I didn't fit into those traditional, you know, normal high street kind of um, activities. And I, I gave that up. Um, by the time I was seven, I was already depressed. I was already trying to take overdoses of tablets when I was a little kid, um, trying to find ways to not have to be here and not be in this world. I didn't like this experience. Who are these people? This is a stupid place. Um, they don't get it. They don't see the reality. You know, people couldn't see yes. the spirits. I grew up in a windmill as well. So like we had lots of strange spirits in the windmill and um, a literal and so windmill. I had that a little, not a little, it was 52 foot tall. No, no. I mean, a literal, a literal, a literal windmill. windmill. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. Wow. So you're saying, and I apologize for interrupting, but I want, you're saying by age seven, you were taking pills to try to already overdose to commit suicide. Yes, I mean, not I, like commit suicide because life's so horrible. I, and, and see, I want to, I want to share this distinction because I felt the exact same way. Right. It, it's not like I've been through so many horrible things. It will never get better. It was like you said, this is stupid. People are dumb. Life is heavy and dense. This being informed, they don't get it. I get it. I see this. I feel this. I hear this. I live this. Like, I don't understand. And you're chastising me. You're saying that I'm, I just want to get out of the body and go home. Can I just leave here? Like, why the hell did I come here? The whole thing when I came here and then went, why did I come here? But I, right. Okay. So go. So I just want to be clear. So by age seven, you were already trying to like go home. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, like, you know, probably I should backtrack. So, you know, like I was always very clear, determined child. I named myself Nid. I refused to respond to anything else. My family, you know, had called me initially Luciana. So that was what everyone. So I was just like Nid, Nid, nothing else but Nid. So wow. I knew who I was. I knew my sense of self. And I remember when I started being bullied and, you know, my parents were like, oh, you know, just change yourself so people will like you. You know, oh, why don't no. you just get on with people? And me being like, I'm fine. There's something wrong with all of you guys thinking that this is like, I have to play this stupid game. Like, I like me. I'm okay. Like, sod you. And yeah. that was genuinely my, my reaction. So then I was kind of left in this place of, well, what do I do? You know? So then I was like, well, I just don't want to be here anymore. And I just didn't want to wake up. I just wanted to be at peace and not in this stupid place. And, you know, I could remember my past life. I could remember how I'd been shot in the heart. Like I could still remember those things. So I knew that I was connected to other worlds, other lives. I wasn't worried. I had no fear of dying. Like I just didn't want to be here. I wanted to go home. This was stupid. Yeah. And that carried on. But obviously, you know, between parents' divorce, being bullied, all those other th normal things that start happening to many of us, um, you know, that got worse. I got more angry. I got more resentful, um, especially towards my mum. And, you know, I finally took my last attempted overdose by the time I was 15. Wow. So I had quite a good running track, which no one ever noticed. No one ever seemed to, you know, literally no one batted an eyelid. There was some bad behaviour. I started drinking and smoking by the time I was 12. You know, I was testing, pushing boundaries, you know, all of those usual things that we do when we're not happy and we know something's wrong, right? You know, and, and I think like Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections is such a good example of, he talks about how depression isn't that there's anything wrong with you. It's that there's something wrong with society and it's a natural healthy reaction to be depressed in this world. Oh my and so, you know, I'm, and 
to me, that's so true. And that's so what my childhood was, was there's something wrong with this world. And so I was depressed. And that final suicide attempt was the time when the message came through, you have to live for the friends you don't yet know. And so I was like, okay, I changed the game and I stopped doing it. And I'll accept that I have to be alive. But in that acceptance, I wasn't really accepting. I resigned to life. And so I took on a shallow life. I became a workaholic. I like played the game. I took on, you know, let's do intellectual stuff. I mean, initially I still stayed in dance and theater and I did that for a while, but I still had such bad depressive phases where I could tell I still felt so suicidal. I was still so irrational. Um, I needed something more intellectually stimulating. So I chose to become a lawyer because it would give my brain enough to constantly be on the go, to never notice how sad I felt. And that worked, you know, over the years of being a lawyer, it just kept me so preoccupied. I didn't need to sleep barely four hours a night. I was so on the go, you know, like I could succeed in my career. I could do, you know, all the exciting deals that I worked on in the music and the media industry. It was a very exciting time. It was all really sexy work. Um, But, you know, I became very dissociated. I was not the best wife to my husband. I mean, he wasn't also the best husband either, to be fair to him, but neither of us were our best selves. Um, Partly because I so dissociated, you know, I just became, there's a problem, we fix it, you know, like, right, fine. You know, he, he, he became epileptic while we were married. And I was just kind of like, you know, like, well, you just got to accept it, you know, and I didn't have that compassion and that feeling because I'd disconnected so far from myself. that I couldn't have that compassion for someone that I loved. Mm -hmm. And that, that side of it is, is very, um, you know, it's very hard to accept when we become that person. Right. And, and that we've disconnected our hearts so much, but at the same time, I still had intuition. I still knew that I was going to get divorced when I got married. I still knew that the man of my dream of my life was, to come to men after this man that I'd married. Like I knew all these things. I still had that intuition. So I could still have that knowing, even though I dissociated, right. Even though I wasn't allowing much space, you know, but I just didn't believe it. I just pushed it all aside. It was like, there's not time. There's not space. You know, I went to a Reiki healer and he was like, Nid, you've got to work with your dreams. You know, the things, the visions, the premonitions that you have, like work with it. And I just be like, yeah, later, 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 I'm just going to carry on, you know, and just squish it. And keep squishing it. And I think so many of us do that as a way to survive, you know, and you turn something into an addiction, which I did with work and being mentally stimulated because it's socially acceptable. You know, I could drink as much wine as was socially acceptable. And that's because that's the normal world that we apparently lived in, still live in. Um, but it's not, it's not healthy. And that's why so many people feel empty, you know, and I was still empty. I was very, very empty. And if I hadn't fallen down that staircase, you know, I wouldn't have woken up to how empty I really was. But that was the time when I stopped and I said, okay, well, if I'm going to keep on living, if I'm clearly supposed to be here and I'm really not living doing what I'm doing, then I guess I need to really embrace what I'm here to do. And I took myself back to who I was as a child before all of those attempts. And what I did was I worked with, allowing my inner child to be my guide and to be, she was happy. She knew I was supposed to be here to do spiritual work. She knew that when I say spiritual work, 
she said, and I so remember those, those visions that I had when I was a child was, I'm here to help people heal with love. And that's what I knew I was here to do. And so I just went back to that's who I'm supposed to be. She knew it. She had the complete determination and clarity. And if I can go back to that wisdom and access that purity that she had and live through her, and yes, I have to integrate where she's been hurt, where she's been harmed along the way. But if I can learn to live through that vision, then my life transforms. Right. And then I find the practices and I do the work that takes me on that path. So I, you know, we all know that place somewhere inside of us of that pure state. Yeah. It's just how we need to learn to access it and what happens in our lives that helps us drop back and find it. So what would you say to someone then who is aware of that and is stepping into that place, but they still get really caught in the denseness of the human form, right? In the life, in the experiences, the past, the current things that might be happening, the fears of the future, like all of that human mind kind of sentry guard stuff that is there really to protect us in a way that allows us to survive. But too often, more often than not, and too frequently, it becomes everybody's norm and it becomes everybody's kind of modus operandi for how to like, you know, move through life every single minute of every day, constantly kind of from the mind, inner critical voice, judging self, others, whatever, pulling in all their past experiences into the present, allowing it to define them all like all the human shit, right? Yes. Some of it's good and we need it. And, and I'm careful to say the word balance because, you know, that's another buzzword way overused. I've always likened it to a scale, right? And you, you all can't see me, but I have my two hands out, right? And I've, I think I've done this with you before. And if you were to look at my two hands and they're literally not moving at all, I would ask you, what do you see? And you would say, oh, well, there's no moving. There's, there's no movement. Exactly. Which means no growth. So we don't want the big left hand way up at the top, right hand way down below and vice versa. We want the, the scales always going to have to move because think of putting a scale outside and letting it get rusty. And then you go to put counterweights on each side. It might break because it's rusted out. It's stuck. It's frozen, right? Uh, melded together, maybe. I kind of see that that's how our mind becomes like this. Everybody's telling us to balance these pieces, but we kind of live from one place and then it kind of gets stuck there and we don't know how to kind of break it apart so that, that it can move again and shift. So how would you tell someone that would come to you and say, I hear what you're saying and I get it on every level. And I, I feel that intuitiveness too. And I feel that knowingness, but, 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 but I'm so stuck in my head stuff I just don't see how blah, blah, blah. What would you kind of tell somebody then? Well, it does depend on the person, as I said, because I would right. choose depending on where in their head stuff it's really blocking them, right? So for one person, they may respond to doing, you know, let's do some really transformational breath work, like really get you into your breathing and really feel it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's noticeable. It's a real like... You know, and like 
that's a sound, right? So often sound can be really transformational for us, whether it's from your body or whether it's starting to learn to listen to sounds. So it's like tune into a sense. So, you know, yoga, the path to the enlightened mind, which um, enlightenment has a funny flavor to it. Um, I like to work with a luminous mind because it's lighting up the mind, right? Um, Which is the conscious mind, um, which is the mind of all of us, right? The collective mind. We want to learn to tap into that. And it's the sense withdrawal. So when our mind is active, we're kind of in an overstimulated place and all of the senses are all going, but we're not actually coming into the body. Okay. And feeling what those senses are experiencing. So what we want to do is uh, withdraw most of the senses and try and focus on one sense. So sound is good. Breath is good. Touch is good. Like I love doing, you know, just like gentle touching of the hand and feeling physical sensation or feeling a fabric touching your skin and what that feels like, you know, coming into really looking at like the beautiful detail of something in front of you and just really being with it and just use something that's of a physical sensation. It's why a lot of people who do um, corporate jobs, like, like I used to be when I was doing my lawyer days, was I wanted a physical practice because it helps you feel the body, right? That's why people go and want to like do the physical gym thing or go mm. for a run mm-hmm. when you've been really mentally stimulated because it brings you back into a sense feel. It's just that we're doing it without really connecting and dropping the frequency of to like just stop slowly yeah. focus on one sense yeah, and just try and focus on it slowly with all your attention, all your awareness, if you can for two minutes, because two minutes really helps us create a reset. Um, it's the same, you know, a lot of people I find if you just put your hand on your heart and just say to yourself, I love you for two minutes. Mm. Not many of us go around telling ourselves yes. that we love ourselves. And that hand on the heart is a physical touch and you've got words. So you've got auditory sense. You can say it out louder in your mind. Just, I love you. I love you. I love you. And just try and do that for two minutes. And you'll just notice it just drops what's up here in the head down and it will create that space. Right. And then from there, maybe you have no idea what to do next (laughs) because maybe you've been so in your head, you're just like, oh, what happened? But hopefully, you know, then you can take a step into something that may help you move forwards from that mind world. Well, but then at that point, you're in your heart, right? You can create from the heart, whatever that means, whether it's a business or, or it like, I, I don't like getting caught in, oh, create a business or create this or create. It's just a a space of creation, of allowing and surrendering into that creativeness that we are as a whole that then can expand. And from that, you know, I've always lived by the philosophy that our doingness stems from our beingness. So if I'm being in a state of creation, of love, of connectedness, then my doingness is going to my actions are going to stem and and spring forth from that, which might all of a sudden be a certain thought in my head, might be a certain feeling, 
here's what's interesting. As a therapist who obviously has dealt with people who would come to me with, you know, depression and anxiety and things of that nature that were very inhibitory in their life. One of the things that I just always ask them to do was to go sit in like a park, right? Some nature kind of oriented place, whether they like nature or not. And for five minutes, just notice all of their senses, sights, sounds, smells, touch. Uh, what am I missing? Sight, sound, smell, touch, hearing. No, sight, sound, smell. Taste, touch, taste. sight. You didn't say taste. Oh, I didn't say taste. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yes. Thank you. See, forgot taste. And literally spend, you know, we'd start at like five minutes. Can you do five minutes where you're just noticing what do you hear? What do you see? What can you feel? What does your skin feel like? And it would be amazing that little practice for those that had super high levels of anxiety and really struggled, how it just really calmed. And now from what you just said, I'm understanding kind of why. I mean, I knew that it was about connecting, right? But I didn't, I didn't really understand, I think, from that why, because I've tended to dissociate my own body, right? So I didn't view it through that same lens until what you just were talking about caused me to go, oh my gosh, because another thing that I've recently done in the last like two years is I started using uh, a skincare line that I really, really love, right? I've never been one to like put lotions on my body and stuff. I didn't like really have dry skin and things like that. And as I put them on now, I'm saying things like, thank you, skin. I love you so much. Thank you for taking such good, as I feel the texture of this lotion that feels very silky and delicious. And I feel it going on my body. And as I'm rubbing my body, now I'm not saying I do it hundred percent of the time. There are times I'm in a rush and I'm just kind of like, come on, get it on kind of thing and work it in. But more often than not, I have been working to love my form and all the facets of it, right? All my imperfections, all my beauty, all the things that I even perceive aren't so awesome, learning to love those pieces as well, and actually physically take steps to kind of experience that or show myself that, right? Just kind of be in that state and allow that doing this. And it has been really changing in a lot of ways to some of my thought processes and some of the limiting beliefs that I have held for years about my own body and about my own form. I think when you're someone who dissociates quite a lot. Um, so for me, when I fell down that stairs, I ripped open the left side of my face. And I was told initially I'd be permanently facially scarred. Now I'm not. And, you know, when I went back to the consultant after two years, he was like, it's a miracle. Never seen face heal like this. Wow. I followed apart from following all of the recommendations, obviously, that the doctors gave me and being really religious, I genuinely think that the key to healing, for me at least, and the process of it was that I sat one day and I just stared at my scars on my face. And I'd always really hated my cheeks. I always felt that like I had everyone when I was kids, you know, they did the whole chubby cheeks. And, yeah. You know, oh, you're a gerbil, you can put loads of food in your cheeks. And it made me really hate my cheeks. And so having these scars down my left cheek, Suddenly I was like, hmm, I never liked these before, but now, now they're covered in cuts and stitches and, and that's worse than it was before. Mm. And I've got to get to like this. 
And so I sat and I stared at myself for a good 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and I just looked. And there's this amazing thing when you just look at yourself and you look in your eyes, you'll see your soul. Your soul loves you no matter what you look like. It wants you to have this experience of these sense delights of being in a body. And in looking at my face, I was like, you know, it could always get worse. I've just got to be grateful for what I've got and for what it does for me and how it cares for me. And I'm going to love it. And I'm going to do all the things I can do to take care of this vessel that is giving me this experience. Even though I've been resentful and ungrateful of this experience for many, many years, now I'm going to turn that around. And like you said, it slowly then ekes into lots of ways you behave, lots of choices. You start to make the choices about, you know, what am I going to do today that's going to be kind and loving to me? What am I going to do today that's going to show a little bit of TLC? What am I going to do today that that's just a touch, a connection with myself? And you just start to make slightly different choices. And by doing that, you just start to change your life. You know, you allow yourself to receive more love because you're giving and showing yourself more love. You know, when we talk about self-love and self-care and, and, you know, there's all that, you know, stuff that goes with it, but really it's just about appreciating and being grateful for your body, having this experience and for the beautiful vessel and home and temple that it's giving you to move through this life. And we use the same to connect into that, right? Yeah, so, so, so very true. Oh my God. So uh, a couple of final things uh, I, I know, because we could talk for hours and hours. When you, after after the traumatic brain injury, and as you really started being aware of how kind of unfulfilled and unhappy you really were, was that kind of a, I don't want to say easy, this this poor choice of words here, was that kind of really the beginning in you, in your own healing then was the, this kind of the beginning of the end of kind of your lawyer career? Was it like an easier transition for you to do then at that point? Or was it still kind of, I thought, no, I thought, you fought I it. thought, I thought it, I thought it for six months after the brain injury. I tried, I stayed in my job. They let me stay, even though um, I couldn't even write a sentence and I was falling asleep at my desk. I tried, wow. I would try and turn up, you know, the deal was I could try and turn up for four hours a day if I wanted to, if I felt well enough. And I did, cause I was determined. I was determined not to let go. Yeah. I really wanted it. And then after six months, I knew, I knew that was the end of my career. I knew I had to stop. I knew I was too sick. And why do you and think that was hard. That was hard. That was very hard to accept. And then two years later, I took a job for a charity doing business development. But again, it was more on the contract side. It was more on that legal side, but I wasn't being a lawyer. So I still tried again. And the migraines came back. I got more sick again. Like my body reacted. It was like, you're not doing this. Yeah. Um, and my eyes have changed since the brain injury as well. I can't read the same amount that I could read then. And so, you know, that was, a, you know, I tried it again. And I said, no, I'm done. I have to stop. So I now use the legal information to support other wellness professionals in their businesses. I do it as an educational format. So I'm teaching people about their legal rights, responsibilities yeah. as part of business understanding. And I use it because, you know, it's important knowledge. It's empowering other professionals to step up and share in a, in a healthy way. 
um, but not as not not practicing, not not keeping that part of my life going. It's not um, it's not being easy either. Accepting bringing that back into my life either. So letting go of it was very hard. Oh wow! And also reintegrating offering that service has been very difficult for me. Why? Why it's do you a, think it was hard to? I, I apologize for interrupting you, but like, why? Why was it? I mean, I can understand the resistance of the letting go because that part of us is like we're honoring kind of where we're at. We're creating from the heart. We've, we've stepped into that place and, and it's can be scary and as hell and kind of like we're resisting that too. Right. And we know that this is kind of the path we're being led on. Great. But I also have to let go of this other path that I've spent all these years. And it becomes this kind of like tug, tug of war, this push and pull. Right. I get that. But then you're going along for all these years and you're you're living in your passion, you're creating from the heart, you're living from your heart. Why do you think there was resistance then and you fought bringing it back in? The ego. The ego gets caught up in the way that it should be done, the structure, the rationale. I get so sucked into that masculine yang doing when I do legal work. Ah. And it's not... Um, that allowing state that I like to work in. So learning to hold that work in that allowing space and how to create an environment where I can work both of those parts of myself, integrating that was very fearful for me um, because I knew the way that that masculine energy would pull me and can make me, again, dissociate, can make me disconnect from the other aspect of myself. So integrating the two parts and how, you know, serving wellness preneurs is one thing and, and kind of saying, you know, and these are legal things, but actually like, and I'm very commercial, I'm very pragmatic, but it's the energy in me that it brought up. It brought up ah. the judge. It brings up the part of me that then wants to judge things. So the more of that work I do, the more I start seeing the judgments Right. And then I don't like that part of myself. And I know that that's not healthy. And so it's how to find that balance of doing that work, but without allowing that judging oh, part yeah. Yeah. to reawaken. And, you right. know, that part is so my family because it's so the academic world, right? It's like this judging of like how we do analytical thinking in academia right. and in law. And so, you know, it, it's that part of my life that I learned. I learned that skill and I've integrated it very well and I succeeded very well at it. But I also am deeply aware that it is not healthy. It's not something that wants to run the show. And so when it comes up, I have to work with it. And so that reintegration of that judging part has been a very tricky piece for me to be able to serve both. Well, and I think what's beautiful about what you said, though, is that it becomes clear that we are all encompassing because we are in human form. And that's what this whole show is about, right? It's not just live in the land of airy fairiness and spirituality, whatever that means, and staying all day. And, you know, the, we just did an episode with someone on spiritual bypassing. And it's so true how we can bypass, emotionally bypass, spiritually bypass, all kinds of things. And I think what you've just pointed out is, so you went along then from this deep, more deeply kind of um, honoring, truthful, purpose-filled, heart-centered place for yourself. Ah, but then 
you realize the importance of bringing back in some of the opposites, some of the human component pieces that are necessary without it defining you and taking away your ability to be in that same space. Whereas before it became the all or nothing as a lawyer, now it was, ah, I can use a little bit of that. And it's helpful that like the yin and the yang, right? And it doesn't detract or redefine me, whereas before it always did. And that I think is the critical piece. I think a lot of people have that, you know, if you find yourself going through this process of changing and transforming your life, I see a lot of people moving into this sphere from the corporate world, wanting to do it as a career. And, you know, they they lack confidence maybe in their ability to facilitate and hold people, but they also want to target corporate world because they're still kind of corporate. And it's interesting that kind of, you know, it's like, are you really integrating these two parts, or are you still trying to play in that yang world, you know, but bringing in this new discovery that you've got? So this dance of how we integrate this spiritual healing work, whatever you want to call it, with, you know, the, the busyness of our current paradigm and how these two come together is everyone's individual dance and journey of how you, you know, because culturally we are in a yang environment. Culturally, we're in a very masculine doing world. Yeah. All of us, yeah, pretty much. Most people on earth need more feminine, receptive, allowing in their lives. And so for most of us, we need to really embrace and surrender to that and then bring the yang back in, bring back in the doing once we know what real receiving means. Because as long as you're still doing, you haven't worked out how to receive. Right. And I think that a lot of people believe that in order to kind of bring in more of the feminine aspects, it means you have to sit there and you have to act like this and talk kind of in the spiritual bypass place too. Like in order to be spiritual, oh, I need to say namaste and light candles and incense. Oh, but to be feminine, I need to always have makeup on and be sexy and dress sexy and talk very soft and like, you know, seductive. And I'm, I take care of my nails and I, and I know I'm hugely stereotyping. Forgive me, any of you listening. I am not making fun in any way, shape or form. The point of the spiritually expressed human is the reality that like, I consider myself very able to receive very much in a feminine energy. Yet, if you looked at me, you would not look at me and say, oh, well, there's this epitome of this woman who like the makeup or the hair, or the nails or any of the stereotype shit, because I'm just real, but I will be the biggest mothering, loving, compassionate holder of this space hugger. Like, I think that the point, and, and I could tell you are two needs is the point is the balance, I think of the masculine and the feminine, the balance of the human and the spiritual, the balance of being in that space and then being in that space and allowing the doing this to, to spring from that in a way that brings in, quote unquote, both sides is the key to really creating from the heart yes. and living yes. from that place where you're creating from the heart. Would you agree? Totally, totally. It's yeah. all, you know, creating from the heart is 100%. You've got to be in the space of allowing. Yeah. And 
only then does doing arrive. And that's, you know, I guess that's the way of the Tao as well, right? Is that we are so in a being that the doing arises from being, not the other way around. And that's the flip that we're currently in a paradigm shift of, um, I think, culturally, um, for most of us, is to understand this change in how it works. And that's the feminine, because the feminine is what creates Um, And in fact, it was really interesting. I was reading the other day around masculine and and feminine and how, you know, in our Western world, we always put the masculine first and then the feminine second, but actually it should be that the feminine always comes first and the masculine then comes from the feminine because the masculine, you know, implements what the feminine brings up. She, she sees, she creates and the masculine then implements. Oh my God. I love that. Okay, I'm writing this down, peoples. Okay, I and I found that that when I was I was you know contemplating that the other day, and I was just like, it's so true. And we've got it, you know, we learn back to front. Yes. <laughs> we learn, oh you know, God. like come up with your vision, come up with your plan. You know, what are the steps to your plan? It's like, but you, the that's the whole thing about coming from the heart, right? It's the intuition, the the insight, that moment of clarity. It comes through and up within the space that you've created within yourself. And I'll be honest, I have, I have actually struggled with that since I left the practices and people ever, you know, everybody wanted me to define in the box, like I said before, and I'm still honestly struggling to this day. And the advice I keep being given, just do what makes you happy. Just go with what you feel. And it's exactly what you're saying allow myself to be in the space of the creation, allow myself to be in that space of honoring, of of just beingness, and whatever inspiring thing comes, springs forth from that, actually then implement that masculine, like you just said, I love this. And, And I have, as I've done that more and more, I have seen deeper, bigger shifts, like just more, I I, I don't even want to say success, but you know what I mean? I've seen more, like, how would you phrase that? It's not success. What am I trying to say here? I've seen more fulfillment. Yeah. But not just in me. It's a, but it's, it ripples more. Yes. It has, has, you know, when we, so many people, you know, we, we look we look to feel like what we're doing has an impact that we're making and significant, we're significant in some way. Our life has a significance. I didn't just come here and, you know, do nothing and leave. Yeah. And often we look for that feedback, but when you're really creating from your heart, you're not looking for feedback, you know, because you're so deeply fulfilled in the process and the ripples, you feel them happening. You don't even need to see them, right? You're not, needing that external validation, which we so live by is like, you know, what's your numbers? How many followers do you have? La la la. How many people have turned up to this thing? And it's like, do you need that to know that what you're doing is having the impact? No, not when your intuition's there because you can feel it. I'm laughing because my current coach, not too long ago, probably in the last 30 days, said exactly that to me, relatively speaking, I was talking to her about, I don't know, some, like I'm not getting feedback because my mind, my ego, my masculine kind of need 
of like, oh, uh, what's kind of, what do you call this or this path or even figuring out my bio, right? My bio, I talked about this earlier today with someone on, on their show, like my bio has gone through a gazillion and one changes and will continue to over the next many years. Like there was that part of my masculine mind doing part of me that was like the feedback, right? The feedback I'm not using it to define me and say, oh, I'm good or bad or I'm right or wrong. I was using it as a way to kind of keep propelling me forward. And she said to me, what would you feel and how would it, how would it feel and what would it look like for you if you didn't have that feedback? And it's like, my first thought was like, well, how would I know? And then I went, oh, she goes, why don't you just feel, right? Why don't you simply allow there's no feedback. What kind of would crop up for you? And I sat down and I wrote like two pages of inspired ideas, like inspired, you know, just things that like creatively came because I allowed myself the permission to be in that space without the feedback. And all of them I have not implemented yet, but all of them as I read through them and had written them down and then revisited them felt like, yes. Like, oh, they felt good. They're like, yes. And so now it's a question of, okay, sit once again in, intu- in, an, in an intuitive state to discern like what feels, not thinks, not should, not supposed to, not whatever, masculine energy of implementation. No, what feels like the, the ideas that I want to start with or that I, the idea I want to like allow to really spring forth now in an implementation kind of way. And so as you were saying that, I'm laughing because, oh my God, I was so living in this feedback place. And I teach the same thing, but I couldn't, slightly different, you know, and that's the beauty of we all come from different doors. But that's the thing, people. And I'm talking to you specifically now, because look, I have this show. I'm well aware of these things. I, I do a lot of inner work. I, I practice like I'm I'm I live from that space. I really live from that space most of the time. And I'm human. And I get caught in all the shit. And it's going to present challenges like this did because it has stopped. I have allowed it to stop me in so many ways. I have allowed it to keep me small in so many ways. I have allowed it to create an insecurity and a fear about things. And yet in this moment, as I'm talking to Nids, all of a sudden, I'll, another little piece of the light bulb clicked on, right? Even, even though my coach mentioned this like within the last 30 days, what Nids was saying and how she said it. And that's what I always hope that you listening, you're able to take away that we could repeat things over and over and over again, but you'll hear it one way today. And then three months from now, you'll hear it uh, just a little different. Like when we re we reread a book or we revisit something. Oh my God. Thank you for that. I'm just so like appreciative, right? Oh, you All right. Now I so know, much gratitude. I know we're way, 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 way yeah. over. And I hope I'm not like goofing up your schedule here. If you, if people, um, if, if before we kind of go to final thoughts, if people wanted to reach out to you, just to learn more about you, learn more about the yoga nidras that you offer and all the other amazing things that you offer on your website, which is also, there's guides and, and 
uh, uh, videos you have to like help shift energy and mood and mindset and you know blog tips that you offer for well-being and and business things like so many beautiful components would the best way to reach you is to literally go to your website which is www.needsnidra.com and i know that sounds maybe on audio it's n nancy i d s n i d r a so just like it sounds needs Nidra, not needs as in I need you like N-E-E-D, it's N-I-D-S, Nidra.com. Would that be the best place for them to kind of check out all the free things you offer and learn more about you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've got, you know, there's a YouTube kind of side of things, but there's also, um, you know, podcast meditation practices and things, but all of that comes off the website. It's the easiest place. And that's also where you can download the free guides that can support the practices as well. Um, so that's kind of the the central hub of information. And you have a you have a podcast? Did I not know this? So it's only, and I haven't been doing it while we've been. I've been doing a big rebrand project, so um, I haven't been doing it for the last six months. But it's purely practices. So um, it's just always been the yoga nidras and meditation practices. So I don't do any anything other than that. It is looking for a relaunch in 2022. Um, and we may introduce some conversations and some interviews um, as part of that, of which obviously, Susan, we're going to have you come and oh. meet, um, and meet the, um, the Nids Nidra crew. Um, so that, would, that will be coming back in 2022. But I've had to take a break with the rebrand and the website moved and everything else. So it's just been quite a large project. Um, bringing together, you know, the the well-being and the business consulting and putting it all underneath one roof, which again goes completely against what all business people, consultants, coaches are going to tell you to do. But I'm following my heart that, um, you know, things don't have to be the way that we're told they need to be in business, in marketing. And that doesn't mean that I'm putting myself out of the game, it means I'm putting myself ahead of the game and seeing that we are creating a world of new values, of a new way of connecting. And part of that is recognizing that we can also be all of who we are and people can understand and pick and choose how they want to engage with that. And that I think is really important as we move forwards, not to be segmenting and breaking ourselves up because that's where that disconnection comes from right? It's like these different parts of myself and I don't like them and I don't want them rather than saying, this is all of who I am. And I love all of who I am and I'm going to share all of it. And we're going to embrace all of it. And people can pick and choose the bits that they want to engage with or not. Yes. And again, thank you for that because, you know, it's, it's just, I mean, whether this is or isn't, it's still feedback, right? It's still affirming in my conscious Susan mind in my heart, I'm just a flutter, right? I just like, ah, right. It's like, ah, in my mind, it's like, yes, because I have said the same thing about my work. Like I don't want ever you again, I keep saying it like a box, but I just like, it's all encompassing. There's all these pieces. Why do I have to pick and choose and pick the lane and pick the niche and pick the this and pick the that and do it this way? And you can't blend. This is the creation from the heart. And and thank you. I, I'm going to check out, even, even though it's been on hiatus, 
I'm going to check out it's called Purely Practices, correct? Your podcast? Purity. Um, no, no, no. The podcast is Nids Nidra as well. Oh, the it's podcast called- podcast is also Nids Nidra. Everything is, um, yeah, I'm Nids fairly Nidra. consistent. <laughs> oh, okay. So the podcast is called Nids Nidra. That's what I would yeah. look for. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. And thank you for the offer. I'd be honored. I, I find it, you know, interesting, fascinating, affirming, validating, honoring, just in a space of pure loveness to, and refreshing to have people who are like, really just, I'm just kind of doing it my way, but not because I'm this rebel. I'm doing it my way because I'm honoring the all of me. And however that shows up and however it expresses and unfolds. And, you know, honestly, Nids, this is the whole, the whole truth and real reason why I started this show is exactly that. I wanted people to learn, really embody for themselves how to step into that space for themselves, as opposed to all the external stuff out here in their life and their world and their experiences that has robbed them of that pureness, that vision, that love, that, that isness of who they really are, that full expression. And I'm, I'm learning and I'm, I'm evolving and unfolding and we all are. So if there were, so again, thank you for that. If, if there were final, I guess, words in this moment right now, not final words, that's such a horrible here. What's your final words person. If there were words of wisdom, offering, honoring that you wanted to share, that those listening would really, they could take away this piece of something to step into that place as we've been talking about to create from the heart. What, what might you offer up? You know, when what comes through right now is knowing that wherever you are is perfect. You're not supposed to be anywhere else. You're supposed to be where you are. Whatever journeys you've been on have been the journeys you needed and have served you even if you don't know how. And to know that maybe it will be clear and maybe it won't, but just know somewhere deep within you, you know that you're in the right place and you'll just keep making the steps towards your journey and your path to being your fullest self in your own time. Yes. So, so beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing you, your heart, your wisdom, your journey for teaching me. I know you say you're not a teacher. We're all teachers in some ways, right? For teaching me, for showing me, for uh, role modeling just by being you and and sharing your journey where those are the mirrored parts for me where I can still look and go, oh yes, wow, I see that slightly differently now. And oh, wait, you know what? Yeah, and that part of it, that shadow piece I see for myself, okay. I'm honoring that I'm aware of it now and I notice it. And when I'm ready, because I'm in the perfect place exactly where I need to be, I will attend to it the way it's honoring me to attend to it, right? As opposed to I must and I must try. So thank you so much again for being here. I would be honored and I know that I'll have you back if you'll come back. I would be honored to have you back on the show because like I said to you all, we could talk for hours and hours. Thank you so much, Needs. 
I honor you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. It's been such a pleasure and such an honor to share this time and space with you. Thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart. You're very welcome. And if you are interested in I, I, that word interested, if you are burning to know more about need, if you are desirous of learning how you can maybe work with her or what these nidra yoga, what yoga nidras are, how to step into that space, how to really move into a deeper place of creating from the heart. We've just touched on it. And, and, and again, we could talk for hours and hours and this is a process. It's a journey of evolution. And I, I hope that you've found value in today's show. Please feel free to check needs out by going to www.needsnidra.com and really explore her site and her and reach out. And if you found value in today, which I know you have, please re-listen to this episode of the parts that really resonated for you because trust both of us when I speak for both of us and say that if it resonated for you, there is a beautiful mirroring in that for you. And within that is where you will continue to honor you, go into that space of creating from the heart. For now though, I wish you the most blessed journey of becoming the truly, fully spiritually expressed, divine, integratively badass human that you are. And I will see you next week. Ciao for now. You've been listening to another episode of The Spiritually Expressed Human, a place where we come together to navigate the human experience as the fully spiritually expressed, divine human badasses we were all meant to be. If you liked what you heard on today's show, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on the platform of your choice so that together we can share this out to the world and make the impact we're all here to make. If you'd like more information or just to touch base with me, please go to susandesunzi.com and explore and grab yourself some free gifts while you're there. Thank you so much for listening.